This is podcast number 249, entitled Sanctification is Making Me Late. 
and you'll get the play on words, but it works in this particular case. The opening music was by the Dramatics from the early 70s, entitled What You See Is What You Get. I'm going through a kind of Philly soul period, not just Hall of Notes, that was sort of at the end, but uh, the Dramatics and the Spinners and the Stylistics and the OJs and um, Harold Melvin and the Blue Notes. You've heard it all before, but these songs are so uh, totally um, rooted in relationships and in personal one-to-one male-female relationships that they sort of show that racialism and ethnicity and all the identity markers of the current scene are entirely secondary to those things which are fundamental to human happiness and growth and hope and joy, which are uh, the relationships we have, especially those enduring relationships that partake of the male-female mystique and connection. The podcast... um, one other element of this is that it's dedicated to Debbie and Ellis Brazil, whose um, lives and uh, relationship and understanding of the Christian faith is really extremely penetrating and powerful and worked out in real life. And so I dedicate this particular cast to Debbie and Ellis with real joy, partly because um, Ellis uh, sent me a rumination on sanctification this week that was very um, deep. And that's what I want to talk about before finishing. Um, The uh, um, problem with... um, all religious elements that put moral striving and elements to be better uh, at the forefront rather than the cause and the root and the anchor and the first cause of um, moral increase. The power of that is that it uh, uh, evacuates the drive to be good from its... um, its uh, comparative nature. In other words, um, if you put your life, uh, your picture of yourself as being a better person on the basis of your own efforts or your own self uh, depiction or presentation before others, you inevitably are faking. You're you're you're, you're faking. You're uh, you're uh, what we today call virtue signaling. What uh, the New Testament really understands to be Phariseeism is the attempt to put out there in public um, virtue or a picture of oneself as good as opposed to bad. And it inevitably, as Alice and Debbie have stated so clearly, uh, uh, offers a a narrative of self-righteousness. It is the compelling um, problem of our contemporary life that um, all... um, show uh, based on some picture of what you think you ought to be or ought to be evincing or ought to be presenting is um, leads to uh, uh, the uh, great value placed on moral superiority that is not only untrue to yourself and to the reality of what's really going on, but it's untrue to what others are, and it separates people very strongly. I find the virtue signaling is such a good word, and yet people are doing it every you name it, a virtue signaling is the name of the game, and it creates a very vivid um, declassification and uh, horrible opprobrium attached to people who seem unable in connection to your virtue signaling to sum it up. And what uh, and what um, uh, Ellis um, understood from his inner appropriation of the gospel is that um, um, moral imp- 
empowerment and improvement has to come from within, and it cannot be based on observation. It has to be, perhaps it may be based on what other people see, but the moment you try to quantify or present or um, examine for the world your own uh, performance, your own, you know, I'm a good person type of thing, it fails. Uh, it, by that very, the very t- first time you begin to compare, it's a failure because it simply cannot be true. The anthropology, the human understanding we have of ourselves and of the world um, prohibits that in practice. It's simply never true. That's why uh, intensely liberal people who want to do this, uh, they they slip on the banana peel of their own uh, performance and very conservative people who supposedly have been trying to do this forever, but just like everybody else, they try to do it. They slip on the banana peel of their own scandals and their own um, um, inner drives that um, destroy uh, the picture that they would like to purport. So um, what we find and what I would say is the absolute truth of life when it comes to sanctification, which is a theological word for um, trying to be more like Jesus, trying to be more like him, is that it, it is a fruit and uh, of of something deeper, not um, an indicator of something going on of love, of prior belovedness. It is a it is an indicator, a marker, a proof of prior belovedness. It is the touchstone of prior belovedness, but not the occasion for prior belovedness or the um, the evidence for um, receiving that uh, belovedness. You know, here, this is me. You know, so love me as I am. Don't try that. The moment you try that, you someone's gonna say, "Well, I know you better than you know yourself." Or do you really, after the dream you had the other night, do you really think that you can afford to present your um, moral goodness in relationship to anybody else's as something to be um, emulated? Uh, that That is the enormous uh, issue of the um, present day and of all life. But we see it more now because, because of the, you know, social media. It's all out there all the time. You're constantly signaling the pictures you take of your children. Make sure you have the right person with with your son in the picture or the don't have the wrong person with your daughter in the picture or with yourself in the picture um and i learned this let's take the example a very very current one of 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 racism if you are trying to um present yourself as uh, a non-racist person there are all sorts of uh, visual indicators of that that you can put out there but they are if they're for the single second something constructed or something that you're sort of using as proof they are they will collapse uh because of their you're trying the moment you try the moment you 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 know you're trying who, who wants to be with somebody who's trying if you love somebody who's trying too hard or you're trying too hard you just ugh, you know you just wince you don't have you ever been attracted to someone who's trying really hard to win your love uh and vice versa the moment you stop trying, the moment you evince a kind of independent spirit of being, people are just attracted to you like crazy. But the, at every second when you're sort of trying to put on an act or really working very double time to get someone to like you, it never, it always fails. It just, it, it started, it failed when we were 11 years old, it failed when we were 16, and it failed when we were 32, and it fails now. Um, it just isn't going to happen. If you're trying to please your adult children uh, on terms that you think they'll be pleased, they can see through it. Anyone can see through it. An insect can see through it. A dog can see through it. Uh, Love is love, and it's obvious. And when the love is real, and when you actually feel it from the heart, your response is inevitably to, to be loving back. 
and uh, what Ellis and Debbie showed, what Ellis particularly in this um, discussion he was having with someone about the third use of the law, which is, by the way, a, f a falsehood. The third use of the law is a, every time you – it always turns into the first use of the law. If people say it doesn't, they'll give you all sorts of biblical reasons or texts to say that it doesn't. And those texts have to be taken seriously. But at the root, um, all attempts to uh, sort of follow out the third use of the law, which is a reformed construction, um, turn into the first use because we're so sensitive. Everybody is incredibly sensitive to judgment. So third use turns into first use the moment it begins. Oh, Paul, you know, I'm trying to tell you this because the Bible tells me that, uh, you know, speaking the truth in love. Well, that, that, that's not the case. Um, there are cases of it, of course, but the love has to way predominate the speaking the truth without it being um, an accusation that sends you into the arms of another camp. So um, the... Uh, the uh, focus of all this is to say, and Carl Hull says this in his book, The uh, Transformation of Morality or The Reconstruction of Morality. I have it right over here. I mean, it's falling apart. I've given it away and used it so much. It is literally in eight pieces. Somebody please, you know, whatever that Carl Hall book, he understood from Luther's uh, lectures on the Psalms, I think, and on Galatians that... Um, the moment it becomes self-conscious, the moment it loses its um, its actuality and its ability to present the reality of your life. But what happens is, if if I am attempting, if I uh, the moment I find myself on a, a place of utter emotional parity and complete uh, connection and normality, without any sense of uh, trying to accomplish some. Um, uh, description of myself uh, as non-racial, the moment I am finding a true connection with a person of a different race or a different ethnicity that is actual based on our common shared um, humanity before God and our sin before God. Uh, by the way, Pastor Paula said something wonderful the other day. She said, uh, you know, the trouble that the world can never give you, the world will always be the world that can never give you the answer to the problem of being human because it, it, it doesn't understand what the problem is. And the real problem is sin. I, sh I just loved it when she said that. She said it. The real problem is sin. Um, but when I find myself inevitably speaking with reality and with truth to a person of another race, that, 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 then, then you're non. Then, then it's it's obvious that um, racism is gone from your life. I get a tremendous amount from Minister Norman Taylor, at New Destiny Christian Center. He has helped me very specifically. He doesn't know how much he's helped me, uh, but we have a very funny story to tell actually about how a, a real miscommunication at the beginning of our friendship. But um, I uh, and I sort of loved to have my picture taken with him for the wrong reasons. But when I somebody else took a picture of me with him recently discussing in depth a passage in St. Luke that related that he gave to me in relationship to something that I uh, uh, um, used to him. And somebody else took a picture. And I said, oh my gosh, there it is. You know, Minister Norman is in a position of uh, absolute pastoral superiority to uh, the very Reverend Doctor, you know, dot, 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 dot. And uh, he is teaching me and not the other way around. Absolutely, without question, 100%. Um, and I look at that and I say, well, Ellis is right. You, you can't try it. But when it happens, you know it's happened. It's observation. So I'm going to close. Um, you, you see it without having to draw attention to it. And suddenly you say, oh, my gosh, I really have come into a new place. 
you observe it and you see it and you don't congratulate yourself as much as you say, oh my gosh, that, that's the evidence that something has happened that has created a better place and a better uh, dynamic and a better relationship and a better person in me. Um, in the absolute low point of my human life, uh, which was the, um, for me personally, was the spring of uh, 1970, I would go uh, after working very hard in the library at uh, uh, the place where I was uh, studying at that point, I would um, I would stop on the way to my lonely and uh, f- f- <laughs> bereft apartment in uh, in uh, outside the city where the university was located, and I would stop on the way home and have dinner at it was either an Arby's or a Roy Rogers. I can't verify which it was. Neither is there now, but there was in this town a I think it was a very early Roy Rogers and I would stop and go in and get a Roy Rogers roast beef sandwich and uh, whatever else and a Coke and um, get ready for the next night of late night studying and bachelorhood and celibacy and such misery and such self self pity and Led Zeppelin too. You know, Led Zeppelin too. Hold on love. And um, that uh, Roy Rogers was so um, dreadful. And yet each night I would, they would be playing songs from the local radio station from Raleigh. And uh, the song, twice I stopped, and it made an indelible impression. Uh, the song was When I Die by a group called Motherload. And I just assumed they were the funkiest group. It was sort of pre, pre-funky funk for sort of American top 40. And it was called When I Die, I Hope I Will Be a Better Man Than You Thought I Would Be. And uh, the, by the way, the group Motherload, which I thought was the definition of pre-funk, whatever the word we called it, late R&B, um, was in fact from Canada. You know, None of these typologies you hold will be, when you find out that that uh, the group you think, you know, Build Me Up Buttercup by the, uh, whatever, the, the, the group that did Build Me Up Buttercup, um, th- that group was from England. You know, are you out of your mind? And When I Die by Motherload, who was from Canada. Um, but the song is very uh, predictive because I, I would never have said at that time that When I Die, I'll Be a Better Man than you thought I would be, and um, I, I would never have said that. I said, this is the end. This is horrible. Uh, this is the doors, uh, and I can't stand it, and um, I was wrong because uh, there are times when I would like to have played at my funeral when that happens, which I hope is a very long time from now, the song When I Die, because it it came at a time when I was the least worthy of the song in every way, mainly from my own point of view of misery, <clears throat> let alone infraction and sin, and uh, and yet it's the song that now, looking back upon it, is the greatest picture that I would ever hope to have, because it redeems the entire, you know, 50 years of life uh, uh, between that song and between the present moment, um, and uh, it is true that I would hope that people would look at my life, not I would look at my life this way, but they would look at my wife, life and say, yes, and my wife, and they would say that uh, that song does in fact... Um, sum up what actually happened hasn't happened yet but i would like it i would like it at the end of the day the construction of whatever sanctification would make me late enough to have that um song played that others might say that to some small degree uh, summed up that man's um development, which he himself didn't even see, but he did remember that the song at its lowest ebb seemed to be predictive of something, sort of a la T.S. Eliot. You know, it came true, but in a different sense. That's my podcast, and here we have When I Die by the Canadian band Motherload. Love you! Love you!